Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited today to have Dr. Furlan, who I consider like a a YouTube pain science star, <laughs> and she's going to help us understand pain and what people with inflammatory arthritis maybe need to know about pain science. So welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Cheryl, for inviting me to be here today. Yeah. And we're also going to talk about your new book, of course, but um, can you just give a quick introduction? Like, where do you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Yeah. So I live in Toronto, Canada. I am originally from Brazil. That's where I did my medical school and medical residency in physiatry. And I immigrated to Canada 25 years ago. And here I did my PhD. I built my family here, had my kids in Canada. And uh, then I, I am a physician here in Toronto in the pain clinic at uh, the Toronto Academic Pain Medicine Institute. And uh, I am a scientist at the Toronto Rehabilitation Institute and the Institute for Working Health. And I'm also a professor, associate professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto. And on my spare time, I have a channel for people on YouTube, people with chronic pain, where I talk about uh, causes of chronic pain, including arthritis and many types of arthritis may cause uh, chronic pain, and I talk about fibromyalgia and other things related to chronic pain. Yeah, it's it's really you've done a wonderful job being able to distill like the complexity of pain science into like an understandable um, nuggets of of wisdom. But you did you mentioned before we go further, I do want to take a minute to define like what is a physiatrist. She didn't say yeah. psychiatrist; she said physiatrist. What kind of yeah. doctor is that? Yeah, so that's a specialty of medicine. It's one of the oldest specialties because it started after the First World War when people came from war with a lot of disabilities, amputations and trauma. 
in the nerve injuries. So physiatry is the specialty of the person with physical disabilities. We work with a team of physiotherapists, occupational therapists, like uh, people like yourself. And uh, we work with uh, a team to rehabilitate the individual. So this could be people with spinal cord injury, paraplegics, tetraplegics, amputations, stroke, brain injuries. And in my case, I chose to subspecialize in the rehabilitation of people with chronic pain because I consider this being an invisible disability. The person may still have disabilities, but they look normal uh, and then they need rehabilitation. Yeah, and it's really, you know, it, it's almost a oxymoron in some ways because in rehabilitation is usually meant to say you you had a skill, you lost it like because of an injury and then you're going to gain it back. But with a chronic condition, the idea is this is something you're going to have the rest of your life, but can you rehabilitate? Can you gain some of those skills back? Do you know what I mean? Like to a certain point while knowing that you might not be able to get 100% back to where you were before your... But no, uh, you know what? I tell my patients, rehabilitation can make you better than you were before. Oh, that's that's a great point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah I should have yeah. thought that as an OT. <laughs> yeah, we can make them better because uh, we use uh, neuroplasticity a lot. We use bioplasticity, not just neuroplasticity. So if you remember those para-athletes that compete in the Paralympics, uh, you know, they can be paraplegic, but they, if you interview them, that they're wonderful because they will tell you their life is much better now after rehabilitation, because now they're traveling the whole world. They're making a lot of money. They can compete. They have sponsors, things that they would never achieve in their life if it was not for the rehabilitation. You know, yeah, you're reminding me of another Canadian person or person who lives in Canada, chronic Eileen, Eileen Davidson. She has spoken on that. She's had rheumatoid arthritis for, I think, a little less than 10 years now. She's been on the podcast before. So I feel comfortable, you know, sharing her. And she talks about her experience all the time. And she said Mm -hmm. the same thing that she was, you know, her her relationship to her health was prior to her diagnosis. She wasn't really engaging in a lot of like healthy lifestyle behaviors as opposed to now. So that's a really great point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love, I love, um, I-, I think I'm always telling people about the different specialists they might not have heard of in addition to, um, you know, their rheumatologist and their primary care. So there's like podiatrists for your feet. There's physiatrists for like that physical medicine and rehab. And then there's also, of course, I was OTs and hand mm-hmm. specialists. And there's just so many social workers, yeah. counselors, um, that it's a shame that most people are just kind of like sent to only one or two dots. You know what I mean? A team approach is uh, much more um, comprehensive, but, but anyway, let's get to pain science Mm -hmm. because um, you know, we, the lay person tends to think of pain as a very straightforward thing, right? Something hurts me. There's tissue damage and then I feel pain, but it's actually much more complicated than that. (laughs) Can you help us understand some pain science 101? Yeah, let me see if I can summarize this in the little time that we have. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The the field of pain science has advanced a lot, a lot. I can't keep up, even though I am a specialist. That's what I do full time. I can't keep up with all the science. I try. Um, that is because I think um, in the last uh, 60, 70 years, 
that's when people started thinking about pain as a pain system in our body. Um, we all we knew that um, for for three hundred years, four hundred years, we know that there is a cardiovascular system, there is a respiratory system, there is an immunological system, there is a reproductive system. Our kids learned this in middle school in biology class. My kids had uh, classes of, you know, they had a project to do in group, choose a system of the body and describe and explain to the class. Now, I asked my kids when they were in this biology class, I said, where is the pain system in this list? Because we, the, the pain system is exactly the same as a, like any other system of the body, it has a function. It's a group of organs, different organs, different cells, and they have a function. So the, the disco, I would say the discovery or the interest of the scientific community in the pain system started in the 1960s, when you probably heard about the gate control theory by two Canadians, Melzack and Wong, who published the first paper on the gauge control theory that says, well, pain is not just a electrical impulse that goes from your toe to your brain. If you put your toe on the fire, you're going to feel pain and pain is felt in the brain. That's it. Pain is just a, you know, something is wrong and it's just an electrical impulse. No, with the gauge, with the importance of the gate control theory was that um, they discovered that in the spinal cord, there are cells that modify those impulses. So by the time that that electrical impulse travels to the brain, a lot of things happen in the spinal cord. We call this modulation. So then open up a lot of scientists started to say, okay, what's going on in the spinal cord? Can we block pain? Can we increase pain? Can we stop pain at the spinal cord? Guess what? We can. So they discovered a lot of things that uh, happened there, but not only, so then people started going up because the spinal cord is easy to study, but the brain was difficult. So they did not have tools to study the brain. Now we have with a lot of imaging, functional MRIs and many other types of uh, imagings of the brain. Now they're opening a box that said, oh my God, it's a lot of things happen that at the brain level, you can increase pain, you can decrease pain, you can create pain from nothing. Even you don't need an electrical impulse coming from the periphery, your brain can create pain on itself without any stimulus. So it is fascinating because we need to tap into those resources to make people feel normal, to feel better. So mm -hmm. uh, that's basically where the science is now, trying to understand the pain system and where we can tap into this pain system to help people who have pain, not only acute pain, but chronic pain, because those are two different things. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So you perfectly led into it. You know, can you describe a little bit the difference between acute and chronic pain? Yeah, there are two different things. And you know what? Many doctors, physicians, healthcare professionals don't know the difference and they treat chronic pain as if it was an acute pain. So the 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 explanation, let me see, let me show the analogy of a, an alarm system of a house, okay? So if you install, the pain is our alarm system of our body, is installed in our body, the function of this pain system is to alert that something is wrong, damaged, broken, injured, disease, right? 
we all know this. So if if you have a, if you install an alarm system of your house in your house, you install sensors for smoke detectors, burglar detector breakings in the windows, etc. We have those sensors in our body too. We have sensors for pain all over. Skin is very innervated. Your tongue, your hands are very innervated with tons of uh, sensors for pain. The organs, internal organs, the joints, when we talk about arthritis, the joints, the bones, the tendons, they don't have that many sensors for pain than the skin has. But that's acute pain. Acute pain is similar to having a fire in the house. So the smoke detector is making, detecting the smoke, sending this information to the, the box on the wall. The box on the wall sends a, 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 a signal to the office in the central office of the alarm company. And the alarm company will receive that signal and send the fire truck to your house to put up the fire. That's acute pain. So if you have an inflammation, a joint inflamed, and you can see that joint is red, swollen, painful, cannot move. So you can see that is an inflammation there. You, you treat that inflammation and the pain gets better. Okay. Now, chronic pain, there's no more fire. So when we talk about chronic pain, primary chronic pain is because the problem is in the pain system itself. It's the pain system that is malfunctioning. So mm -hmm. if, if your house alarm is making a lot of noise, is going off all the time, constantly, the, the sound is very loud, uh, you call the ambulance, the fire truck, they come and they say, there's nothing wrong, there's no fire here. You call the alarm company and they come and they fix the alarm. And, and that's, that's what chronic pain is. It's a lot of noise. It's a lot of constant, very loud. But the interesting thing is that it's not the person is not imagining this. They are feeling this pain. I'm not saying that this is in your mind, in your psyche, you're crazy. No, the pain is very real. But now the pain is originating in the pain system itself because the pain system has been sensitized. When yes. the, the injury that started that pain is already healed. Yeah. And I think something that, um, that's a, that's like a very helpful analogy and, and the idea that I think it gets confusing when you have an ongoing inflammatory disease, like rheumatoid arthritis to understand if I'm feeling a worsening of my symptoms, is it maybe that I'm experiencing the central sensitization, which is the faulty alarm, or is it my body's perceiving it, uh, actual flare-up do you know what i mean i know i know exactly yeah. and that is the that's why they come to me sometimes and they say okay help me how do i treat this so the the, the diagnosis and there are names for this uh, the three types of pain the nociceptive pain neuropathic and nociplastic pain those are the three names nociceptive means the pain is coming the origin of the pain is the inflammation in the joint Neuropathic means the wires, the myelin, the axons, the neurons are damaged somewhere. So you have neuropathic pain. So how do we know if this is an inflammatory pain or neuropathic pain? The characteristics of the pains are different. The, you, you tap in the nerve and the person feels an electrical shock. That's neuropathic pain. You right. do an EMG nerve conduction study and you can detect that the nerve is being compressed. It could be a carpal tunnel. 
So a person with rheumatoid arthritis, they, they do have more carpal tunnel syndrome because of all the swelling that goes in the hand, the bone destruction. So they may have both. They may have the inflammation in the joint and the carpal tunnel syndrome that is compressing the median nerve here. So they, they have those electrical shocks going to the hand, which is from the neuropathic pain. And then they have the joint pain, which is the nociceptive pain. Now, the third type of pain, nociplastic, which comes from neuroplasticity changes in the pain system, can be superimposed to those two. Though they may have the three types of pain. So how do you know if the pain is nociceptive, neuropathic, nociplastic? Nociplastic pain is when the pain starts spreading outside of those boundaries. So if, they, if you can see the joint pains are here in the joints, you see the redness is here, but now the pain is spreading outside. So if they come to me and they say, I have pain all over here and it's spreading here, that, I cannot explain that by the joint that is inflamed here. So then I say, mm, I think there is some spreading, there is some central sensitization. And when we do a physical exam, you can see hypersensitivity to touch. So touching the skin may hurt. Putting a little bit of pressure should not hurt, but in their case, it starts hurting. So that's when the person starts developing fibromyalgia because fibromyalgia is central sensitization that has a spread all over the body. That was a, that I was just going to say, is that really what leads to fibromyalgia? So that, that really helps. Um, I know some of the people listening might have to like pause and listen again, because that was a lot of really helpful information at once. And I think the more that you can, as a patient, understand the different kinds of pain, you yeah. can um, be a better like reporter to your healthcare team. Cause I think it can be hard, right? They just you present at the appointment and then they say, just rate your pain on a scale of one to 10. Now I know as a physiatrist, you probably have the more, the more detailed pain scales where it's like the different kinds of pain, burning, tingling, numbness, but sometimes the other providers don't offer that. And so it's just this one kind of amalgamation of just pain. And yeah. I think, yeah, it's so helpful to have language around the different, the different types. And Absolutely. yeah. And, um, you've mentioned in the, in the kind of the, the blurb about the book, um, that you could, that part of what you discuss in the book. And I was, by the way, the eight steps to conquering chronic pain, I was able to get an advanced copy, which was really exciting. And I think it's super helpful. And you, you mentioned that one of the ideas of the book is to teach people how to rewire their brain to control their emotions and therefore control the pain. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. Sounds too good to be true. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is possible. Be... I've seen this happening. So I know it is possible. And there are a lot of uh, studies now published, uh, randomized trials, high quality trials in Australia, United States, Europe, showing that this is possible. It, it is rewiring. It's it's similar to calling the alarm company to come and fix the, pain, the alarm system. So I call myself the doctor of the alarm system. You know, when the fire truck, the ambulance, they already took care of their. So if they have a rheumatoid arthritis or carpal tunnel syndrome, go take care of that, take your medications. But now if your alarm system is still, you know, showing and telling you that you have this pain, which is a real pain, it's coming. It's just the, the origin of the pain is different. So how do we fix this pain system? How do we normalize this pain system? Because there is, you know, the, this pain system has buttons. <laughs> we can modulate up and down. 
and um, it is possible. And one of the things that modulate up, that make the pain of nociplastic pain worse, we know what it is. It's already well established. There are many things that make it worse, like uh, increasing the volume of pain, like this alarm of your house. Imagine it's 24 hours making noise, and now the, the noise is louder. <laughs> one of the things, one, there are many, one of the things that turn the volume up is stress, is when your brain thinks that you are in danger. So if you are in this house, the alarm is going off all the time, and you are going overstressed, you are, where's the fire? Where's the fire? I can't live in this house. It's almost like the volume of this noise is going up and up and up and up to the point that is so intolerable, they would do anything to stop that noise. So just by the fact that you decrease the influence of stress in your life, let's say if you just say, okay, I know I'm living in this house and I can't live in another house. This is my body. I can't move to another house. I, I can't do a body transplant. I have to live in this body. Yeah. I know this pain doesn't mean that there is a fire in my house. There is no smoke. The doctors guarantee to me that I'm taking the right medication. My rheumatoid arthritis is under control. They guarantee to me that I am okay. I'm not going to break. I can move. I can do anything I want, but I'm afraid of moving because I'm so afraid that I'm going to break myself or make this arthritis worse. If you keep with that fear, your body will move less and less and less. And the less you move, the more pain you will feel. So we need to break that cycle. So that's basically controlling your emotions. <laughs> when I use that word, controlling your emotions, controlling your stress, it's basically understanding what's going on in your body and understanding that if you move, if you go to a party, if it may hurt, yes, it may hurt. I'm not saying that it's not going to hurt, but you are not broke, you're not breaking your body. You're just I using know. your body and using your body is healthy. And the more you use, the more you live a normal life, then those danger signals will get lower in your mind and then you will perceive less pain. Mm -hmm. So that is basically what controlling your emotions and the pain system mean. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up, I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step -step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. 
If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group, where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through. People who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I mentioned to you before this interview that like my own therapist from an anxiety standpoint kind of taught me how to let go of control at times and how that's useful. But in this case, it's kind of empower, I think of it as empowering yourself to understand that you can still make choices to, um, that are not determined by your perception of your pain. So for example, I'm in pain and I'm going to still try to take a walk, see how I feel after five minutes. Maybe I won't be able to make my goal of walking 20 minutes. Maybe my fatigue or my pain will get in the way, but, um, it's almost unlearning this idea that's very primitive idea that we, I think we all grow up with, which is if you're in pain, rest, don't move something if it's in pain. And that's true of like an acute injury, like you know, to my brother twisted his ankle last week. I'm thinking I'm walking on or doing a hike um, on uneven ground. And it's like, of course, in that case you need to. Um, So I think it's, you need to rest. So I think it's hard for, it's again, a whole new uh, language and whole new science people need to learn who live with pain um, that, that it's, it's, you can't just go with your gut instinct. Sometimes your body might be saying it's same with, I'll just say one other thing we didn't really talk about, because this is more about pain than fatigue, but they're all interrelated. And I thought the research on the effect of exercise, the positive benefits of cardiovascular exercise on fatigue is so fascinating to me. And I've felt it in my own body where I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I kind of want to take a nap, but let me see if I can do my exercise bike for 15 minutes, see if I still feel that need. And it's actually my fatigue is improved short-term and long-term with exercise, but isn't that unintuitive, right? You think I'm tired. Yeah. Shouldn't I save my energy, not expend energy? So yeah, that's why the person they need, each person is an individual. Uh, They need, uh, you know, a coach. I would say they need a coach that will help them to see these possibilities because sometimes the patient is stuck in their mindset and they only see one thing and the doctors, you know, the healthcare professionals, unfortunately, they don't know these concepts and they are really not helping the patients the way they should. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they, they keep trying to find where is the fire, where is the fire? They keep ordering more MRIs, more lab tests, mm-hmm. more X-rays, oh, more injections, let's do more surgeries. Sometimes they have to stop 
the problem is not there. The origin of the pain is not coming from there. The origin of the pain is coming from a malfunctioning pain system. And the and then the per person spends, you know, five years, 10, 15, 20 years trying to find where is the fire, where actually the problem was, it's just a malfunctioning alarm system. Yeah, and that's, it's hard because it's 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 almost a strange experience to have. I mean, I actually use that exact analogy in the analogy of feeling like your, your body's on fire um, and the fire department saying there's no fire. I use that as an example of like the experience of being kind of accused as being a hypochondriac. So on this obviously context is everything. This was prior to my diagnosis and they kept saying, you're not sick, you're just anxious. And like, in this case, it's saying you, so in the case of chronic pain, that's not resulting from tissue damage, or you're saying that your, your perception of your pain is real. Your subjective experience is real, but the problem is not in the building. <laughs> the problem is in the system. And so I think, um, it's hard. It's a hard pill for some patients to swallow because MRIs and stuff and the idea of surgery culturally, at least in the U S it's like this idea of you're going to fix the problem. Yeah. And, and it's hard to get your mind around the problem. Isn't in my knee or it's not in my hand It's in my brain, but, but obviously as all your experience shows that there, um, that once you can understand the root of the problem is in your perception, then you can do all these helpful things to yeah. change yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, so, and one yeah. thing that you mentioned, it's not just in the brain. Uh, we know that the pain system can be malfunctioning, but th people think it's only the brain. We have the pain system constitutes of the brain, the brain stem, the spinal cord, all the nerves, the receptors, and plus the hormones and the immunological system and the gut bacteria. So they're all connected. So this dysfunction of the pain system can affect any of those areas. Uh, and so it's fascinating. You need a, really a, a doctor that understands the pain system and will look at you as a whole because, again, I'm not saying that the pain is only the pain system that is malfunctioning. It might be a joint that needs a joint replacement. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it might be a two types of pain or three types of pain. But if there is this malfunctioning of the pain system that is making this noise all over it's going to confuse the diagnosis of that need that needs replacement mm. that's what i try to explain to my patients if we can eliminate all of this other sensitization the sooner we get rid of that it will be easier for us to help you with that nociceptive pain in your knee that needs a joint replacement because right now we can't see that it's in the middle of all this noise Mm hmm. I love that example. I, I think that's super poignant. And I, and thank you for yeah that clarification when you say it's not just in, or I, I misspoke when I said it's in the brain and yeah, it's in the whole nervous system. And the, I, I'm glad you mentioned hormones. That's something I'm starting to learn a little bit more about and certainly gut bacteria. I've experienced yeah. that as somebody with chronic gut issues along yeah. with rheumatoid arthritis, but, um, I want to skip, I'm going to go a little bit, skip ahead in my notes if that's okay. Um, and 
go on to the, you know, in your book, you really delve into the lifestyle and mindset changes that help people who are living with pain, you know, reduce their pain, um, live well with it in, in decrease the negative impact of pain, you know, on their lives. And you have eight, eight steps, which is so helpful because all this is very overwhelming. So being able to distill it into individual steps is super helpful. And, um, you know, I, you mentioned in the book, things like retraining your brain, um, lifestyle factors, like sleep, nutrition, social connectedness, um, which I love you include that in emotional regulation. That's so anyway, very consistent with my experience personally and running my like room to thrive support groups that that social connectedness is just crucial. And in addition to medications, goal setting, so we could have like eight different episodes on each one of these, but I did want to. I wanted to isolate sleep just to, for a little bit because it seems like it's the little, it's like the ugly stepsister of lifestyle medicine. Almost everyone's like diet, nutrition, diet, nutrition, and, and mindfulness mindset. It's like, hello, sleep's over here. <laughs> um, like I haven't even had a full episode on sleep. So I'm including myself in that. Like, what do you think people, um, what would you want people who are living with chronic pain to know about sleep and how it affects pain? Yeah. <laughs> So first of all, a lot of people with chronic pain have sleep problems. They tell me they don't sleep well. They are awake uh, during the night. They can't go back to sleep because pain wakes them up. And then during the time they, daytime, they're tired. That's very common for us to hear. I, my approach to sleep in this situation is, first of all, let's investigate to see if you don't have a disease of the sleep that could be treated. So sleep apnea, restless leg syndromes, etc. Those can be treated and they should be treated and diagnosed early. But if you don't have any sleep disorder and it's, you're just having a bad sleep, I tell them, let's work on this. Let's try to fix this because you need to have your energy to fight this pain, to do all the other steps that I will ask you to do. That's why I put the sleep at the bottom of the mountain, conquering the mountain. And the sleep is right at the bottom because if you can help with your sleep quality, then you have the energy to do everything else that I'll ask you to do, including exercises, including go grocery shopping and cooking for yourself, etc. So sleep is important because it is doing sleep that you're pain system, that the whole pain system is going to take a, uh, a rest and will create the neurotransmitters that you need for the day. So going back to the pain system, in the brainstem, here's the brain. I, I know people who are listening to this in the podcast, they, I, I will try not to do a lot of visuals because they will not be able to see this, but the brain is on the top of a brainstem. It's like an, a, a tree and the, the, the stem or the trunk of the tree. In this brain stem, we have an inner pharmacy. We produce our own medications. I have a video of this on my YouTube channel. And uh, you produce your own medication, you produce your own opioids. They are called beta endorphins, encephalins, dynorphins. You produce your own cannabinoids, similar to cannabis, and uh, they they are called an, an endomite. They go all over your body. So you don't need THC, you don't need smoke pot. You can produce your own. It's in their pharmacy. You have also dopamine. You can produce dopamine, which is the 
motivation neurotransmitter, you have serotonin, which is the antidepressant neurotransmitter. So how do you open that pharmacy is another story, is with meditation, exercises, doing things that are healthy, lifestyle, but, but you need to have those medications inside of the pharmacy. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to have them. So when do you produce those neurotransmitters is when you are sleeping, and you also need to eat well. So they're linked, like uh, in order for you to make those neurotransmitters, you need to feed your body with the nutrients to make them. So if you feed your body with junk food, processed food, you're not giving the pharmacy the nutrients, the chemicals for them to produce the inner, the, those neurotransmitters. So that's one thing. So when a person tells me that they are not sleeping well because pain wakes them up, I usually ask them, well, did you think about the opposite? Maybe your sleep is not good quality because you are taking long naps in the afternoon, you are drinking a lot of coffee, you're abusing the blue light from computers and electronics, you are putting a lot of stress in your mind before you go to bed, like watching the news before you go to bed. So now your sleep is very superficial and anything will wake you up because your sleep is so poor quality. So even a little bit of pain will wake you up and then you think you are waking up because of the pain. So did you think the opposite? If you had a deep sleep, high quality sleep, then any pain would not wake you up in the middle of the night and you will be able to sleep the whole night. So there's a lot of conversations that we have in the we have sleep classes in our hostel that we send our patients to learn how to to do sleep hygiene and change some of their habits. Sometimes it's just cut the caffeine. <laughs> you're drinking too much. How can you expect to have a good night of sleep if you're drinking too much caffeine during the day? Yeah, there's so many little things that it's such a negative. It can be a very vicious cycle because then you're feeling sleepy in the day and then you're drinking yeah. more caffeine, but you kind of have to have be willing to go through a short-term period of like with, you know, yeah. um, withdrawing from the habits that haven't been helpful, like taking long naps and such, yeah. um, in order to reset everything. So I think that's, that's really helpful. And I remember there's a, there's a great study I'll link to it in the show notes on rheumatoid arthritis, that it was actually a condition where they, they, um, induced lack of sleep ran in a randomized control trial. They induced four hours of sleep only in half the participants and the other half got to sleep their typical amount. And the people with, who were in the sleep deprivation condition, not surprisingly reported much worse pain, worse, you know, uh, emotional regulation. And, um, it's not like it's not, it's intuitive, but it's also having those studies helps us right under be able to, um, give that scientific heft to the recommendation of, Hey, you know, start, you know, really prioritize your sleep. If, if you can, I, I don't know if, I don't know if this resonates with you, but I've literally uh, recommended to people, or maybe just encourage people to be, I call it being a sleep diva. Like, and my husband will completely uh, validate that I do this. I'm like, no, I am like, you will not interrupt my sleep. Like I will sleep in a separate bedroom if I need to, you know, I feel like I'm a diva right where I'm, I will yeah. say, uh, like I need like a diva, like a, you know, in music yeah. musicians where they're like, I only want red M&Ms or whatever. Like you have yeah. to advocate because people, if you told people, oh, I've been starving for five days, but it's fine. I'll just push through. They'd be like, what you need food like in the same, but with sleep, they're like, 
oh, it's just sleep, like just push through you're young or, you know, so do you find that in a lot of your clients, like that there's a social pressure to kind of like not prioritize sleep? Yeah, it is. humans are the only animals that um, sleep, uh, they can, they're able to deprive themselves from sleep. All the other animals, they sleep whenever they have to, they don't. Um, I, I, the other th point of sleep too is some people overindulge in sleep. And I we know from research that people who sleep more than they actually need, they develop symptoms very similar to fibromyalgia. So wow. you need, yeah, so the, the ideal now what we recommend, and that's what I talk in my book and in my video, find your normal what you need between seven and nine hours. So less than seven is too little, more than nine is too much. So mm -hmm. and so you do need also to be vigilant not to spend too much time sleeping, because that is not good. It has the studies show they develop symptoms very similar to fibromyalgia pain all over the body. Yeah. And I think another, you know, you have a lot of great sleep hygiene tips in the book. Um, and I think one of the things, again, I'm, I briefly mentioned this in relation, uh, to rheumatoid arthritis earlier, but it really is true that not only does exercise and movement reduce fatigue, but it improves sleep quality, which is so great. Right. Cause then you're like, I feel like with rheumatoid arthritis, oftentimes people are like, you need to exercise to support your joints which is true muscles support your joints, but that's like the very tip of the iceberg, right? Exercise also positively affects your mood. It positively affects your sleep. It reduces fatigue. So anyway, just one more, you know, no, notch, yeah. you know, and, and I know people get annoyed at hearing that you need to exercise, but, uh, or hearing that exercise is helpful, but, um, it's not it, just about it's muscles. one, it's one pill. If I could prescribe one pill, that would do all of this and prevent cancer and prevent heart attack and prevent stroke and prevent so many other problems, Alzheimer's, that is exercise. So we were meant to move. <laughs> That's basically humans were meant to move, not to be sedentary. You know, and it's funny, I don't, I hope this is not going to sound out of like not appropriate, but when I got a dog, it, it actually kind of struck me. I'm like, wow, we really recognize how important movement is to dogs, right? You're like, well, of course I need to walk my dog every day, but why don't we think about that for ourselves? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, your dog becomes restless, agitated, you know, if they don't get their exercise. Now I do have a couch potato dog. So that's not really related to my dog personally. He's totally happy to see he's a Cavalier King Charles, which is like, <laughs> uh, genetically the least similar to a wolf of any dog. <laughs> They're just like little floof balls, but, um, but most of the time, yeah, pe uh, dogs, it's like, we recognize that the exercise is important. So yeah, I think that's, um, and getting started small, you know, just do five steps more than you did yesterday, each day, you know, if you can, it's, it doesn't have to be, um, some gigantic, you know, five hours a day at the oh, gym did, or something. Did you hear about exercise snacks? I actually heard about it probably at the same conference I met you at, but yeah, tell, tell, tell everyone what exercise snacks are. Yeah, yeah there, there are a lot of research now showing that, um, you know, you don't need to do, get all your exercise in one big chunk, like one big meal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can get all your nutrients if you take uh, small snacks, healthy snacks. So the yeah. same thing with exercise, you know, in Canada here, they recommend that it's good that you get 150 minutes a week of moderate 
ex, um, intensity exercise every week, but you don't need to get that in like uh, three sessions of 50 mm -hmm. minutes, uh, you know, straight so or 30 minutes. You can break down this into snacks of two minutes, five minutes, but it has to be intense. It has to be yeah, yeah. not just walking around, you know, your house. It has to be if you have stairs at home, just go up and down stairs for five minutes. You got your five minutes of snack. Yeah. I love it. Actually, stairs are one of my favorite workouts um, because you get a really good cardio impact. Mm -hmm. Like you get your heart rate up so quickly and you get your, you know, I can feel your burn in your quads and I have stairs in my house. So you can also, yeah. if you have stairs in your house or apartment, you know, um, you can do it on, on your own time. Also, I live in the Pacific Northwest of the U S where there's a lot of like, um, a lot of Hills and there's a lot of like little miniature, they're not really parks, but they're part of our, I guess they are public property that have stairs. I don't know if you've uh, seen, yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah, they're a little, a little bit of a tripping hazard when it's been raining because there's lots of moss on them, but it's a good. But people who work, you know, if you work in a place that uh, has an office that they have, you have to, instead of taking the elevator, take the stairs mm -hmm. once a day, a couple of times a day. You don't need to go all the way up, go to the fifth floor and then from there get the elevator, but uh, use uh, the stairs everywhere you can find one because they're great. Yeah. And and we mentioned, so, so far we've covered just, uh, I, I want, I knew we wouldn't have time in the 60 minutes to cover everything. Um, but we've covered a little bit of the, um, the rewiring the brain, the sleep and exercise. Is there anything else you wanted to highlight from the eight steps to conquering pain from your book? Well, I, I think uh, that there are a lot of important steps there. And, uh, but one yeah. of the things, yeah, <clears throat> I talk about exercises, <clears throat> excuse me. I talk about exercise, of course, because exercise is a whole, you know, modality on itself. Mm -hmm. One of the steps is learning to use medication. So, of course, medication is part of the steps to conquer chronic pain. So I do teach people when and how you can use medications. What do they do for you? Why some people use antidepressants, anticonvulsants? why people need opioids, why they don't need opioids. And I also teach in the book and in my videos about uh, how you communicate with your healthcare professionals about medication specific, about opioids. Use the pharmacist. Pharmacists are great team members of a pain team. So, you know, learn a lot from your pharmacist. Talk to your pharmacist about your medications. Ask questions. Why am I taking this medication? What do I need this medication for pain? Do, for how long do I need this medication? Because sometimes they are put on medications for pain by one doctor, but then nobody questions them if they still need. Right, right. Right. So medication is a big important. It's a very important step. And the socialization is extremely important because now with a lot of science, there are a lot of studies showing that the context where pain happens, who is around you, yeah. what are the kind of supports you have. If you feel lonely, you feel more pain. If you don't have emotional support from people around you, you, you suffer more from pain. So actually when people give that number, eight, nine, 10, in a pain scale, actually that number, what it really means is how much they are suffering from pain. It's not mm. just how much is the pain sensation. Because you probably know people may have pain even in the absence of uh, an organ, like amputation, yeah. post-amputation pain. A person may have an amputated foot, 
an amputated breast, an amputated tooth, and then they ha now have pain in that foot, breast, yeah, yeah. or tooth. It's phantom pain. So even in the absence of an organ, your brain can create pain. Yeah. No, I, I love that you mentioned context too. And I think one thing that I've noticed in my support groups is that a lot of people feel like they're doing it wrong. You like that they're missing something. And it's true that there are things we can learn, right? Sometimes you don't, you don't have all the tools in your toolbox and you need to learn more, but other times, um, it's a matter of like understanding that some things might be out of your control at a certain point and learning how to, you know, move forward along with and have self-compassion yeah. to yourself, you know, and say that it's, it's not always my fault. It's just what I'm yeah. dealing with right now. And that can be really unburdening personally yeah. in my experience. <laughs> and it's okay to have good days and bad days, mm -hmm. but what I really don't, what really makes me sad, I don't want to see is when a person stopped living yeah because of the pain and you probably have seen that too they just give up you know they don't want to do anything they don't want to meet people they don't want to work they don't want to study they don't want to learn they just give up anything and they stop living yeah. that's so sad because i know there's a lot of things they can do for themselves to have a very good quality of life yeah well i mean and and yeah giving people hope through all of your steps is is i mean just a beautiful it's a beautiful legacy you're you're creating not just on youtube but now with with the book and um i just i wanted before we get to the rapid fire questions i just wanted to briefly talk about language a little bit because i'm very i think it's because i took a linguistic anthropology class in undergrad i went to a li very liberal arts college I find the language we use around like chronic illness really interesting. I've had conversations with people and you might've seen these too. Some people, for example, who have rheumatoid arthritis like to think of themselves as like a warrior, like I'm fighting this and I want to conquer this. And other people don't like that imagery. And so I know that like in the case of, you know, a book, you put a lot of thought into the title and it's eight steps to conquer chronic pain. Do you like, I, I don't I was just going to ask, like, are there some cases in which maybe, or what actually, what does conquering mean to you? Because you do define it in the very beginning of the book. So maybe take a second to uh, explain in, in your opinion, what does conquering mean? Yeah. When I had to chose, choose the word, I, I imagine, you know, could be so many things. And I was talking to people and for me, the analogy of Climbing a mountain came, that's why the cover of the book are mountains, and I use the eight steps climbing the mountain. Because when a person climbs a mountain and they conquer the mountain, when they get to the top of the mountain, the mountain is still there. So that's what conquering chronic pain may mean for a lot of people. You are climbing this mountain of chronic pain, maybe the chronic pain will be there for the rest of your life but you are on the top of the chronic pain now and I'm teaching you, I'm your guide and you have, I'm not going with you. So the other thing is I will tell you how to get to the top and you have to go like the mountaineer, that's what they do. The coach will tell them, okay, you go. And when they get to the top of the mountain for each person is a different definition, but then they can look at the next mountain and they say, okay, I conquered this one. 
and I'm going to conquer the next one. So they build on their, they, they're increasing their resilience. They are increasing the resources. They're more resourceful. They know what worked for that flare up and I'm going to use for this flare up. And I will not, I will not be at the base of the mountain looking at this mountain and crying, oh, I have chronic pain. No, I'm going to start climbing this and I'm going to conquer it. That's what it means. I, I love that. So I love the idea that the mountain is still there and it's not like you then hop off the mountain and there's no mountains ever again. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I know that, you know, it's interesting. I, th- I feel like sometimes that my, my therapist who uses acceptance and commitment therapy, I joke, I'm like, you've created a monster because so, you know, he kind of encouraged me to not, I think from the anxiety standpoint too, to not make my goal to like conquer my pain or conquer my condition in the sense of if that means to me that I will reach some end point where it's no longer in my life, that's not a realistic goal, right? But to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be able to feel this sense of resilience and empowerment and understand that if I look at the next flare up, like you mentioned, I have the tools to get up this mountain again and, and, um, and accept that this disease is not one mountain that I just conquer and then succeed, you know, check off my box, never have to worry about it again, but it's a series. It's um, a much more for me, like mentally healthy standpoint. I want them to feel empowered that they know, they know their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Their emotions are not interfering with and making this pain worse. They took care of that. They took care of their sleep, their nutrition, their medication. So they're doing everything right. If they still have pain, they know that they're doing everything they can do right. for themselves. But the horrible thing is you look at this mountain and you, they're not sure, am I doing everything? Am I getting the right treatment? I'm not even know where to start. That's where they're I think they stop living and they feel so frightened when yeah. they are, they look at this mountain and they feel overwhelmed. I want them to take one step at a time and let's, you, you can climb it. You can get to the top. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm thinking for some reason, I was thinking about Cheryl Strayed, um, her book, Wild. Did you ever read that one? No, she, I did not. She- she went from never having hiked before to yeah. hiking the entire Pacific Trest, Crest Trail. So like Mexico yeah. to Canada. Um, and um, I was just thinking, anyway, she has a great, and this is being too literal, but she has a great yeah. description of her putting everything in her backpack for the first time yeah. and putting her backpack on and then just immediately falling back and be like, oh no, <laughs> I can't even take one step in this with this backpack. But then, you know, you take one step and then another and then, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great book. They turned it into a movie too, but, um, but yeah, so we are now in just the wrapping up a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, they're, they can be long or short, but let's make, mm-hmm. we can make them short. Um, do you, um, do you have any words of wisdom for somebody who might be newly diagnosed specifically, let's say with an inflammatory arthritis condition, what would you say to them? Oh yeah. So I would say find a support someone who is knowledgeable who had conquered you know their mountain could be and this could be your healthcare professional who had helped other people Uh, but sometimes if they're busy they don't have a lot of time for you find other people who had traveled this road before they can be your guide because being alone and trying to navigate the system find the resources is hard 
and uh, getting a new diagnosis sometimes is frightening you don't know what it is and it will paralyze you so don't let this happen get get a get help yeah you don't need to do this alone oh man i so resonate with that i was so stubborn initially like i want to figure this out on my mm -hmm. own not not the easy road to take not the more fun road to take. And then do you have a favorite like mantra or inspirational saying that either helps you in tough times or your clients? Yeah. So I, I, what helps me because I also have pain and uh, I don't have chronic pain, but I do have a, I just came from a surgery in my foot. Oh my gosh. Um, and I'm just recovering from surgery. And um, yeah, so the, the mantra, what I, what I like to say is uh especially related to pain. Pain is very subjective. So your experience is your experience. Mm -hmm. And even though some people may not see your pain and you may be, you know, stigmatized like a drug seeker, you just want your opioids, you just want drugs or being gaslighted that people really ignore what you're saying and, and they don't wanna give you credit. I'd say you are, what you say is pain, is pain. And the number that you give is the number that you give. Don't, don't be judged by other people that cannot see your pain. They're not, you know, if other physicians, other people say, oh, but you're not in pain, you're normal. It's because they don't know much about this pain system. Give them, you know, some space and, uh, but try to find someone who understands what you're going through and that you can communicate and don't do this alone because uh, doing this alone is very sad and will make your pain worse. So basically trust your instincts and uh, what you are having is what you are having. Your number is your pain. I love that. That's so, I'm sure people listening right now are feeling so validated. Um, and just one last one. What is something that's bringing you joy right now? Well, I would say in my life, uh, teaching other people, helping other people is what brings me joy. And um, the reason that I decided to open the channel was because I, I wanted to help more people with this knowledge. And in my clinic, I can only see one person. I spend an hour and a half with each patient. And during that one hour and a half, I said, I could be doing, I could be spreading this knowledge a lot. So. Uh, right now, my channel is like this hour that we spent talking here, there are between 1000 and 2000 people watching me on YouTube. So wow. that is amplifying a lot of uh, the message that I wanted people to hear and to be helped. So I really, my intention, my goal in life, my mission is to help as many people that I can with chronic pain because this message needs to go out. We have a pain system. You can regulate the pain system. You can, you know, do things that will bring your pain system calming down. There are a lot of treatments for chronic pain, controlling your, you know, emotions, even though you don't like that word, but uh, I still <laughs> use that word. But uh, managing your emotions, knowing your emotions and journaling, a lot of things are very helpful. Yeah. Uh, so the more people that hear this, the best. Well, and I think with control, I, I might've overcorrected when my therapist, you know, meant probably is more just that not everything, it's not a tool that it's not something that you should approach every problem with a control mindset, yeah. more that understand that control what you can 
you know, and learn to let go of what you can't. I think that's been a lesson for me, but yeah, it doesn't mean that all control is bad. We do have some control. Life is not a hundred percent random. <laughs> it's just somewhat random. So thank you so much. I know people can find you on Dr. Andrea Furlan. That's F-U-R-L-A-N on YouTube. I'm going to have all your, and also your website, Dr. Furlan, Dr. Andrea Furlan.com. And uh, your Twitter is AD Ferlin, and then your Instagram is dr.andrea.ferlin. So the, those are all on the show notes, but I just wanted to say them out loud in case someone's like, oh, I want to follow her right this second. <laughs> <laughs> and your website or your website and your, and, you know, all your channels are super, super helpful. So I appreciate that you took an hour. Um, and especially when you're doing lots of interviews today, I appreciate you taking the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope everyone checks out your books, The Eight Steps to Conquer Chronic Pain, A Doctor's Guide to lifelong relief. If you see my eyes going like left and right, if you're watching the video, it's just because I've been looking at my, my notes and my, uh, copy of the book to make sure I didn't uh, misspeak, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. And, um, thank you, and I'll look forward to seeing you virtually online. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and your, your show is great. I, I love it. And I recommend to a lot of people who have rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye for now. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.